Uh, several of you have been asking me today uh, how I'm doing. I just had sinus surgery about a month ago, and uh, so it's coming along. And, uh, but you will notice that I'm, I'm a tenor now, okay? <laughs> I've moved from baritone to tenor for some reason. So, uh, but I'm hoping that my baritone voice is going to return here in about a, two months or less, okay? So it's, it's a little bit of a process to work through this. So um, I was thinking about, you know, joining the worship team. I don't know if they could use another tenor or not, but <laughs> while it lasts, I could help out. So I don't think, I better talk to Pastor Randy about that. He might discourage that. So anyway, all right. Well, I'm Pastor Jim, and uh, if you're visiting, we're very grateful to have you here today. Uh, this morning, we come to the final chapter of Luke's biography of Jesus. We started this way back in January. Now we're coming to the end, the 24th chapter of Luke's story of Jesus. And we've entitled this today, uh, Pay Attention, because these are the Lord's final words. He's going to be discussing the power available to us Christians, to the church, to carry out the mission that Jesus has given us. So this is the climactic chapter. In this chapter, uh, Luke discusses the resurrection. He also discusses several of the resurrection appearances that Jesus made to his disciples after his resurrection, uh, where Jesus shared with them the mission that he was calling them to, the mission he had been on, and now he's, he is sharing that same mission with them. And uh, in verses 45 through 48 of Luke 24, these are the exact words that Jesus says to them. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, let me sort of break that mission down a little bit so we can get our minds wrapped around it. I think Jesus is saying this, and the first thing the disciples probably thought of when, he's, when he makes this statement is, this is a completely impossible task what he's asking us to do. He is asking us to go to all the nations in a world where nations are entrenched in hatred, prejudice, corruption, and abuse, and to go to these nations and call them to repentance and forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, so that People and cities and nations will be transformed from being cultures of hatred, prejudice, corruption, and abuse by the power of repentance and forgiveness so that the culture of the kingdom of heaven can begin to break in to this very flawed and messed up earth. Now, that's a difficult mission. To walk into nations of the world, into the cities of the world, the villages of the world, and expect to see profound transformation move from, the, from this broken kingdom of this dark world into living in the power of the kingdom of heaven. And remember the prayer that Jesus prayed. He prayed, our Father who is in heaven, 
hallowed is your name, holy is your name. And then he said this, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. That's our mission, is to go and begin to plant colonies of the kingdom of heaven that radiate the culture of heaven as a testimony to this broken down culture we have on this planet. So the disciples probably said, good luck with that. Okay, all right, tough, tough job. But then Jesus had one more thing to say to them about this. Uh, And in verse number 49, this is what he says. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you are, and I like this phrase, until you are clothed with power from on high. So what exactly is this clothing with power from on high that's going to ignite ignite them in carrying out this difficult mission? Well, what's Jesus thinking about here? Well, let's go all the way back to the third chapter of Luke because that's where Jesus started his mission. And what happened in Luke chapter 3? Well, Jesus was baptized in water in the Jordan River. John the Baptist did it. And, uh, and then as soon as Jesus came up out of the water, what happened? It says that the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended down upon him. And then, uh, in other words, Jesus in his humanity, when Jesus lived here and took on humanity, he laid aside the exercise of his own divine powers as the Son of God. He set that aside so that he, in his ministry, would be totally reliant upon the power of the Holy Spirit to carry out that ministry. And that's exactly what Luke says. I want to read it for you. Remind ourselves. This is what it says. Uh, As soon as he was baptized and the Spirit came on Jesus, Luke says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted. And there's the story of the temptations and the assault against Jesus. But he overcame because he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Luke says, after the temptation, Jesus returned to Galilee. How? in the power of the Spirit. And news about him began to spread all around the countryside. And then where did Jesus go? Well, a couple verses later, it says he went down to his hometown of Nazareth. And he was at the synagogue during their worship service. He picked up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and guess which verses he read? Verses that Isaiah 700 years before had wrote specifically about the Messiah. Here's what Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And here's where culture gets changed in this world. He has sent me to preach the good news to the poor, to the spiritually poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for those who are held prison, in prison and recovery of sight to those who are blind and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to proclaim The kingdom of God, more powerful than the kingdoms of this darkened world. Now, so Jesus lived those three years of his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And what's in Jesus' mind now for his disciples, he's simply saying that the very same power by which I carried out my ministry when I took on humanity, I modeled it for you guys. Because it's that very same power that's going to come and clothe you with God's power from on high. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' Jesus' expectations for this difficult mission being carried out in the world did not rest upon the skill and the ingenuity of his disciples. In fact, just a few days before this, the disciples at at the Last Supper, they got into a big argument about who was the greatest among them. These guys did not look like leaders that were going to turn the world upside down at all. What Jesus knew the mission depends upon, then and now, is upon disciples, ordinary people, still flaws, but it depends upon disciples who are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's when the mission gets accomplished. Now, Jesus is about to to ascend to heaven where he's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father at a place of equality with the Father. And listen carefully to what he says. I I want to break this down again in verse 49. He says, I, after I ascend to the right hand of God, I am going to send to you what my Father has promised. So Jesus is simply saying, we need to get this down, the same Holy Spirit that the Father sent upon me, I'm going to be sending on I'm going to be sending that Holy Spirit to you. So stay in the city. Don't try to carry out this mission in your own strength. Stay in the city until the power of the Holy Spirit comes and clothes you. Now, we also need to remember that Luke, he not only wrote the book of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts, sort of a sequel, part two. In the book of Luke, he's telling the story of Jesus and his ministry. And in the book of Acts, he's telling the story of the church and it's carrying forward the ministry of Christ. Now, Acts chapter 1, summarize it a little bit for you. Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection making several appearances and teaching his disciples. And the main thing he kept drilling home to them is found in chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where he's saying again, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And then he says this in verse 5. He gives them a word picture. For John the Baptist, he baptized and immersed you in water. That's what the word baptized means. It means to be completely submerged, completely immersed. So when you came up out of the River Jordan, you were drenched from head to toe with water. Jesus is saying something really powerful here. John baptized and immersed you in water, but in just a few days, you are going to be baptized. You are going to be literally immersed. You're going to be drenched in the Holy Spirit. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? Let's remind ourselves. He is God the Spirit, who with God the Father and God the Son is one God who exists eternally as a community of three equal persons, one God, three persons, who live eternally in a community of inexhaustible power 
And out of that power comes love and beauty and goodness. And Jesus is saying, in just a few days, you guys are going to be immersed in all that power. And there, there's the strength to carry out the mission. Now, Acts 1.8, Jesus repeats it. And he does it a little bit more strategically this time. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And here's the strategic part. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in sort of this expanding concentric circles, the gospel is going to go to the whole world in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus, after making those statements, he ascends to heaven, all right, to the Father's right hand. Then, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Luke describes the, the moment when the promise of Jesus, the coming of the Holy Spirit, upon the initial 120 disciples. Luke says in chapter 1, verse 14, there were about 120 followers of Jesus that were present, and they'd been praying and and seeking the Holy Spirit since Jesus ascended. There were 10 days between the ascension of Jesus and, well, the day of Pentecost. Let me read that. When the day of Pentecost came, what is Pentecost? That was a harvest feast among the Jewish people where they celebrated the beginning of the harvest field, the first ripened grains, and it was a fitting day for the beginning of the mission of the church, because the mission of the church, Jesus said once, you know, remember what he said? The harvest fields. He compared humanity to a great harvest field, and our mission is to go there. So this is a fitting day and moment for the Spirit of God to come and descend. And then he says, um, they were all together in one place in the temple. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Now, wind is one of the symbols of the of the power of the Holy Spirit, filled the room where they were sitting. It'd be like, you know, a, like a, a hurricane, I guess, blowing into this room, okay? Then it says, uh, in the next, ver- this next part of the verse, uh, they saw what appeared to be tongues or flames of fire uh, that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, fire is also a symbol of the Holy Spirit, of his purity. Verse number four, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak, and verse 11 tells us that it was speech of prayer and worship. So they began to speak, to pray, to worship in other tongues. The word tongues simply means languages, as the Spirit enabled them. So the way I view this, what happened there was it was sort of like the Niagara Falls of heaven opened up and poured down upon these 120 people that were seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, a little summary. Jerusalem at that time was filled with thousands of pilgrims who had come for the Feast of Pentecost. And there were at least 15 different language groups among those Jewish people that came from the, all across the Roman Empire. And when they heard the sound of this prayer from the temple, 
they ran over there to see what was going on. Luke lists those 15 different language groups. And they were completely shocked because none of the 120 disciples had ever learned these languages. They were locals, okay? They had never learned all these languages, and yet here they are speaking crystal clear in about 15 different dialects at least as the Spirit empowered them. Why did the Holy Spirit enable them to miraculously speak in other languages? Well, I think there's a couple things for sure. One is it was an evidence that the Spirit of God had indeed immersed them, filled them, And it also, again, is a fitting sign of the mission because our mission is to go to all the language groups of every tribe, tongue on this planet. That's our mission. Now, here's a question. Was this dynamic, empowering experience just a one-time event just to get the mission of the church kicked off way back in that first century church? In other words, not, was this never to be repeated again? This was sort of introductory. Well, Luke really makes that clear. In fact, he drives this point home in several different ways. And he does it by recording the sermon that Peter stood up and preached. It's the first sermon in the Christian era. And in that sermon, Peter sets, sort, of, sort of sets the course. He sets the pace for what we can expect all the way down through the centuries until Jesus Christ comes again about the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's take a look at it. What Peter does in verse 17 is he quotes the prophet Joel, who had lived in 850 B.C., and this is the quote. In the last days. Now, what is the last days? The last days in the New Testament refers to the interval of time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. In other words... It's simply a phrase that tells us that the last age of history that will exist is the, one that pre- is, the, is the one that precedes Jesus' second coming when he's going to bring in the kingdom, the kingdom age to this world. So that's what the last days. We're living in the last days, which started when Jesus came the first time. So, that's the time frame we're talking about. So, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. In other words, upon all believers between the first coming of Jesus and his coming again, God, Jesus, is intending to have a spirit-filled, empowered church. And... We need the power of the Holy Spirit no less, maybe even more, in this world that we live in than those believers did in the first century. Things have not gotten better, uh, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, so the day of Pentecost was the beginning of the era of the Holy Spirit to empower us until Jesus comes again. Now, uh, Peter also says this to the crowd, verse 38. Repent and be baptized in water, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So he calls them to repentance. And then he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, even us down in the 21st century, for all whom the Lord shall call. Now here's a question, another question. 
is this baptism in the Spirit, is, when does that happen? Is that what happens the moment a person first comes to faith in Jesus Christ? Well, we do know this. The Scripture teaches clearly that the moment a person receives Christ, the Spirit of God takes up residence and lives inside that person and begins to uh, cleanse them and purify them and lead them and comfort and guide them. Uh, so the Holy Spirit dwells in the heart of every follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, the Apostle John talked to Nicodemus, and Jesus talked to Nicodemus about being born again by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, cre he's the one who is there to, to help us be born again into, into faith in Christ. But is that what Luke is talking about? I think Luke's talking about something else. Uh, he gives us five, four examples in the, in the rest of his book, and I don't have time to go into all those, but we'll look at maybe at a couple of them. In chapter 2, uh, where the first 120 received the Holy Spirit, uh, these 120 people, they had already come to salvation. They were already followers of Jesus. They already were living in faith. They had already accepted his death on the cross for their forgiveness of sins. Uh, they were Christians. Uh, and then in chapter 8, uh, Philip goes down to Samaria. Uh, and the Bible says that, uh, well, let me read that for you. It says that Philip, uh, when, it says when, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, that is in water, both men and women. So we have people coming to faith and we have people being testimony to it by being baptized in water. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now, this is interesting because John, a brother, with his brother James earlier, he wanted to call fire down on the people of Samaria, okay? So there'd been a transformation in this guy. Now he's going down there to, to minister to them. Anyway, it says they sent Peter and John. When they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. Simply, they had been baptized into the name of Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So what, what is Luke teaching us here? Uh, Luke is teaching us that there is an experience of empowerment by the, by the Holy Spirit that is available to all believers in Jesus that is distinct from and comes after a person has come to Christ and been indwelt by the Spirit. It's another experience that the Holy Spirit, who dwells in us, wants to, wants to lead us into. And its specific purpose is for power to enable us to carry out the mission. Uh, now, this is an experience to be actively sought for by all Christians in the same way that those first 120 believers set time aside to proactively pray and seek the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is still saying to churches today, he's still saying to this church, 
Don't try to go out and fulfill the mission without the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we come to an exciting part of Peter's sermon that day. In verse number 17, Peter says, I'll read it again, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Now, all people, in the Old Testament days, the Holy Spirit was only poured out upon a handful, just a few prophets, to empower them to be bold voices that would speak out for God to their generation. People like Moses and David and Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel and a whole a list of other prophets, but there's only a handful of them. What's happening now? Jesus has come and fulfilled all those prophecies of the Old Testament. He's the Messiah. And as the Messiah, here's the great promise. I'm going to pour out the Spirit. Joel says, he quotes it, I'm going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon all my people so they can be sent into the community into the world as a community of prophets and one way to define a church we are a community of prophets what is a prophet a prophet is someone who boldly and with power and impact speaks for god and and so the the reason the holy spirit is poured out is to create a church where we're all empowered, just like those handful of prophets were then, we all become, in that sense, a community of prophets, boldly testifying, boldly witnessing to our world repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this passage gets even more exciting. I like what he says next. This is one of my favorite passages in the entire scripture. So just after he says... uh, that uh, in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people, upon all my people. Guess who's first in line? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about our children. He's talking about our youth. He's talking about our young adults who will be, it's the Spirit's intention that every church be filled with children and youth and young adults. You know, we live in a day when that group, young adults, youth, they're leaving churches in droves, in hundreds of thousands. They're walking away from church. They're not just walking away from church, they're walking away from faith, even though they've been raised in the church. That's a a huge problem for the church right now. That's contrary to what the Holy Spirit wants. And maybe it means that all of our churches need to seek the power of the Holy Spirit, his presence, his, his strength, so that our young people understand what this is all about and have a dynamic experience with the living God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. All through eternity, the Holy Spirit, as the third person of Trinity, he has been exalting Jesus Christ. He has been passionate for the Son of God. And when the Holy Spirit comes into a human heart, He brings his passion for Jesus right into that person's heart. And so we must be a church that is seeking with all the fervor of those first 120 Christians. We must be a church that is intent upon seeking the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, the immersion experience that that the Word of God is setting out there and making available to us. 
Then he goes on and says, all right, okay, all right. I appreciate that, okay. Uh, we're blessed at Calvary with a lot of youth and young adults and children. And my heart as your pastor, I'll go on record here, is I want them to come and grow up in this church and go from this church. I want them to go with the passion of Christianity, not a dead Christianity, not a Christianity of just words, another philosophy, but the living reality of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when we invite him into our hearts. And then Peter continues. He says, your young men, and I know he's meaning women because in, in the next verse he talks about the Spirit coming upon men and women. Your young men and women will see visions. And then he says, your old men, I don't know who he means by old men, but anyway, uh, your old men and women will dream dreams. What does he mean there? Well, I think one thing is this. When the Holy Spirit fills us, immerses us, then what the Holy Spirit sees, we're going to begin to see. And what does the Holy Spirit see when he looks at our world? He sees people that are broken. He sees people that are destitute, messed up, flawed, caught up in all kinds of addiction and sin. That's what the Holy Spirit sees when he looks at our world. And if we want to see our world with real, with real eyes and compassionate eyes, we must have the spirit of the living God so we can see like he does. What else does the Holy Spirit see? For every broken person, he also sees not only their present brokenness, he also sees what they can become through redemption, through the power of this message of repentance and forgiveness. He sees the new life, the new persons that can be transformed and created by the power of Christ. We need to be seeing that with all of our hearts. He also, the Holy Spirit also sees past racial barriers He's the one whose mission was that you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, or in Jerusalem, in Judea. You know where the next place was they went? Samaria. Samaria, there was a wall between the, the, the Jewish people and the Samaritans that was a thousand feet thick and a thousand feet high of prejudice, centuries old. They hated each other. But here's the Holy Spirit causing these people to see those Samaritans in a brand new way. Racial prejudice gone, empty, and there is no room in the kingdom of God for racial prejudice. That must die because it's contrary to everything this gospel is all about. Now, and we need to lead the way in our culture. We need to demonstrate to this culture that the church of Jesus Christ is the place where every human being, it is understood, is made in the image and likeness of God, no matter color, no matter no matter pigment of skin, no matter what. May God help us bless Calvary Church with great diversity because that's what heaven's going to be. Heaven is going to be diverse, people from every tribe, tongue, nation. That's the picture John the Revelator had. Anyway, now, here's another question. And then I'll, I'll sort of bring this down to a close. As you seek Jesus for the empowerment of the Spirit, what should you expect? Wind and fire to come into the room again? Most unlikely. Uh, because those were outward symbols of the purpose of the empowerment. Should you, should you expect an overwhelming sense of the Spirit of God 
to come upon you as you spend time seeking him. Yes, yes, you should. A profound sense of the Holy Spirit. And what if, as you're seeking the Holy Spirit and you sense his presence, what if you also feel the Spirit prompting you to pray, to praise him, to pray in a language you have never learned? What would you do if that happened as you were seeking the Holy Spirit? Well, here's what I hope you would do. I just hope you would do what the 120 did, (laughs) okay? And follow the Holy Spirit's lead. Uh, and begin to speak or pray, worship God, in that other language. It's a deep way of praising and worshiping God. Now, we need to understand that when that happened, the Holy Spirit didn't take over, and they just became robots. That isn't what happened. It says they began to speak. They did the speaking. The Holy Spirit was encouraging them, leading them, prompting them, and it was very natural. They, they did not go into some sort of a trance. Not at all. They were in complete control of their mind, their emotions, complete control. Uh, they just began to speak as the Holy Spirit prompted syllables. They began to praise and speak. Now, I first experienced that very thing when I was 16 in a small prayer meeting of about 10 or 12 people praying specifically for the presence of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I had prayed probably for 45 minutes or an hour and just was surrendering myself to the Lord and saying, Lord, I want everything you have for me. I want your Holy Spirit to to fill me to overflowing. I, I, I want the Holy Spirit to be at the center of my whole being. And I prayed that. And about 45 minutes in or so, in a very calm and quiet way, sort of very natural way, I sensed those syllables and the Spirit leading me, and I began to pray in a language I don't know. And, uh, and ever since then, uh, that has been a part of my own personal, private prayer time with God. Now, there's a whole more, I know there's a lot more to be said on that, We don't have time to get into all that right now, but here's what all I'm saying is. Another question. What happens if you pray, and you pray and you pray for this immersion of the Holy Spirit, and you begin to feel his presence coming upon you, but there's no prompting to pray in another language? Then what do you do? Well, here's what I would say. Remember this, that what you're seeking, you're not seeking the experience of speaking in other languages, okay? That's not what you're seeking. You're seeking the Holy Spirit. That's your part. It's the Holy Spirit's part to take care of the speaking in other languages, okay? That's his department. Uh, The 120, when they were praying for the Holy Spirit, they had no clue that they were gonna end up speaking in all these other languages. They had not a clue about that. They weren't seeking that experience. They were seeking the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit did his thing. And that's all I'm saying to you, is let the Holy Spirit do his thing. And and so, uh, and you just trust him that he's working in your life, he's he's imparting his presence, his strength to you, his encouragement to you, and don't 
yeah, just let, let, let him handle it. He works with all of us individually. Now, I'm also totally aware that many are very hesitant to seek the Holy Spirit because of some of the horrible abuses that have occurred and still occur in this whole area of the, of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you can tune your television in any day and you can see people abusing this very, 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 very holy, sacred gift. Uh, and I won't be afraid to say that there's a few evangelists on that TV that, well, hey, t- turn your TV off, okay, on, on some of those guys. All right. Uh, because they, they invalidate this experience by mistreating it and, and leading it into fanaticism, and they chase people away. People are shy to even seek the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham called the Holy Spirit the forgotten member of the Trinity, okay? We're just nervous about the Holy Spirit, but we don't need to be nervous because the Holy Spirit knows what he's going to do, how he's going to do it. Now, if there was one place that Satan would love to attack the church and rob the church, it would be to rob them of the experience that empowers the church. So if he can get controversies swirling around the gift of the Holy Spirit, then Satan has really, he has really brought the church to a paralysis, okay? We need the Spirit of God. Our part, just to seek him with all of our souls. Here's the action step. Okay, I believe that Peter in his sermon sermon is telling us that the, the same dynamic reality and power of the Spirit that the first church in Jerusalem experienced is also what he wants Calvary Church of Lamont to experience so that we will be about the mission. So I'm encouraging you to take this step, to begin to set time aside to be with Jesus, who is the baptizer in the Spirit. John did the baptizing in water. Jesus does the baptizing in the Spirit. Uh, Seek Jesus for the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may say, well, I've done that all my life. Well, that doesn't, that's okay because the scripture says, Paul said in Ephesians 5, 19, 18, 19, he says, don't get drunk with wine. But he, and, he, and he uses the present tense, but keep on being filled by the Spirit. It's a continuous thing, day by day, asking, Holy Spirit, fill me for this day. And uh, so set time aside in your, make space on your frantic calendars to seek to be clothed with the power from on high. It is for you as much as it was for them. I want to encourage that, that you take that step. Uh, you could be helped in doing that by opening up your Bible to the last chapter of Luke and the first couple chapters of Acts. This week, set time aside to reread those passages, to, to get a hold of this in your own heart. And set, set aside a half hour, set aside an hour to do one thing. Seek him for the gift of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Gospel of Luke. Thank you, Father, for the birth of Jesus. We studied in the first few chapters and his ministry, and now, Lord, his ascension, his to the Father's right hand and is pouring out of the Spirit so that we can continue the very same mission in the very same power. 
Heavenly Father, uh, empower us as a church. Oh God, we pray that in the name of Jesus Christ, we go on record, Lord, as renewing our prayer that you will fill us to overflowing with the precious Holy Spirit so that Jesus is glorified and made known. And Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise for this in Jesus' great, wonderful name. Amen. Amen.